Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleina. We're starting our fourth year as of March. And I'm excited because the guests we've had on the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water, has been the most fascinating path, hike, trip there has been for me and many others. We have been able to bring to the Sharon Klein Hour, Power of Water, uh, Nobel Prize winners, authors of many famous books, uh, experts in nutrition, physicians in, in new technology and breakthroughs in the medical field, and individuals in psychological uh, new behavior and understanding your health and, and diseases and all walks of life, whether it be taking care of an animal to uh, patenting a product, authoring a book about uh, uh, the world and the water and diet, to today's, today's special guest, Robert Ware. Robert has been an author for a long time, and he and I met because he was the author of Earth Day, and knew the founder of Earth Day. And, and I told Robert when I had him on, I had tears, that he reported that the politicians switched Earth Day from the real Earth Day. And we'll talk to you about that. That is so important. Let us let nature flow to where it must flow, like the water flows around our planet. Today, uh, uh, Robert is going to be on with a new report, and I'm really excited about it. The last time he and I talked, he was getting ready to take off on a sailboat with a lot of people, and a, a, a race in the, it was called a race in tall ships. And they went around to many seas of our world, the oceans of the world, and, and, and did so many things that we're going to have a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll never get it all in today in one hour. I want you to know that when I chose to have the power of water, 5,000 children are dying a day because they don't have water. And that is, it, that is not acceptable in a, a way we live today on our planet Earth. In countries around the world, there are water wars going on, and lot, they aren't calling them water wars. They're calling them war because they're desert. They don't have enough water. They might have oil, but they don't have enough water. So if you're living in a desert and you don't have enough water, you begin to panic. You begin to get anxiety. You have problems of how you're, where, where are the jobs going to be? What are you going to do? How are you going to be healthy? 
So around our world, there's a lot of discontentment about water. Even in the United States of America, every day there's a new report about bad water in the schools, communities that have something in the water they didn't know about. And then the other one about parasites in the water. There are over 2 billion people that have been diseased with bad water having parasites in the water, worms that they acquire from the water. Um, buildings with the pipes that they had no idea about what was happening with the pipes and water, E. coli, Legionnaire. We could go on and on. So I chose to, to many years ago, study water. And the waters of the world are the most fascinating life there is. Water is life. Soil is life. You are life. So a healthier planet is where the show, what the show is all about. It's a show that talks about life-threatening water wars, the global water and health crisis, interviews with researchers and leaders and, and the environment from all over the world. The show is reporting new education and, and new research. Dehydration as a disease. Did you know that the moment you were born and you left that pocket of water, you began de- dehydration all the way to passing away? The water access and sanitation issues and what we all can do. Women carrying the water to survive a family in different countries of the world all day long to bring in uh, a, a urn of water for her family to exist that day. We are trying to learn what's happening on this planet with the water. So this show, we invite you to listen. We're starting our fourth year. We're very excited. We have a Hall of Fame of guests come in and go to the SharonKleinaHour.com and listen to so much that is there to offer that all these special guests have been offering to all of us with their thinking and what we can learn. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know that when your eyelid is open, the surface of your eye must maintain 99% all-natural water, but you've never had a product until Nature's Tears Eye Mist to maintain that with a supplement. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Robert Weir. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. 
That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Robert, are you with us? Hey, hello there. Yes, I am, Sharon. How are you today? Well, I'm fine, and how are you after such a long trip? I am absolutely wonderful, exhilarated. Uh, it's <laughs> wonderful to be out and connecting with other people in the world, as you well know. Oh, I <laughs> well, how long were you on the boat, uh, on the sailboat? I was uh, gone for a total of four months, but I was on actually three ships. On three yeah. ships. Yes, I sailed across the Atlantic Ocean on a ship called Royal Clipper, uh, which is a like a cruise line ship, uh, but it's a tall ship, and uh-huh. I was on that for 16 days. Mm-hmm. Then I competed in a, uh, a sailing regatta on another tall ship called Kaliakra out of Bulgaria, and I was on that on the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea for 14 days. And then I took a passenger uh, freighter vessel uh, called Translubeka out of uh, Germany and sailed that to Russia. And that was, uh, of course, uh, motoring all the way, and it was for three days. My goodness gracious. So, <laughs> uh, now, how do you feel about what you chose to do? You have never been – I think you've done something similar in the past. I'm not sure. Uh, have you ever done anything like that before? Not to that extent, no, not, not that by extent. any means, and, and it was the first time of sailing across the Atlantic, which was a totally wonderful experience, and I loved racing. I, I've been a sailboat racer for a lot of years, but mm-hmm. to race on a tall ship with these young sailing cadets who were a third <laughs> of my age was absolutely terrific, uh-huh. and then just the experience of being aboard a, a commercial freighter out on the uh, the Baltic Sea was terrific. It was now, all wonderful. How many people were on the sailing uh, boat? Okay, well, talk about Royal Clipper, the across the Atlantic first. Uh, there were uh, 82 people, 82 passengers on board. Mm-hmm. The ship will actually hold a couple of hundred, and the number of crew were 100 to 120 people, including the deckhands, the officers, and the, mm-hmm. the kitchen staff and the wait staff and the, uh, the cabin stewards. So about 200 people total, and 80 of us were passengers. 82 were passengers. And then you went from there to the sailing uh, side. And, and, and correct me if I lose my, which, where I'm at with you. <laughs> I, I know. Um, okay. So, uh, the sailings, how many people were on the sailboat with you? Okay. Uh, well, Royal Clipper was a sailboat, a tall okay. ship. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, then Kaliakra. Uh, on the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, there were about 30 or 35 people on board, 20-some cadets who were learning to sail, learning to, well, they were students in the maritime industry, learning to sail so that they could work on commercial vessels later, mm-hmm. and plus uh, a handful of officers, and there were eight, no, excuse me, nine uh, guest passengers like myself who paid for our voyage to be on the vessel also. Uh-huh. And as paid you, passengers, we had the option to either crew or not to crew, but <laughs> I'm a sailor. I was crewing. I was pulling the lines right along with I was going to say, before you left, I, I thought you said you were going to crew it. Oh, yes. yes. You were going to be a member of the crew. I was a member of the crew. I was pulling lines. Yeah, I stood oh. my watch uh, from noon until 4 p.m. and from midnight oh. to 4 a.m. right along with the cadets. So... Because I'm so into nutrition and staying in condition thinking, what did you do to prepare to be in condition to do that? Because that is really an, an enormous amount of, of 
of of, of stamina. Uh, it's hard work physically. Well, it is, uh, and the harder... Oh, I know. You're only 27, so you're okay. <laughs> I, I had my 63rd birthday this past week, uh, Sharon. <laughs> well, I had my 69th in January. <laughs> okay. But, you know, I, actually, after taking that trip, I feel younger than I have in a long time because oh. of that refreshing experience of getting out and meeting people from around the world. Oh. But, but to answer your question about preparation... Well, I keep myself in pretty good shape to begin with. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think I, my biological age is something in the 50s, which helps a lot. Yeah. And um, I don't know that I really did anything special or extra pre- to prepare for my, myself physically. Um, but what's the most interesting challenge I found is not necessarily the pulling lines, but the sleep uh, the sleep schedule, especially when you're working a four-hour shift with eight hours off and then another four-hour shift with eight hours off and working mm-hmm. meals into that time off. Mm-hmm. And, and then there are the calls for all hands on deck, mm-hmm. which can happen at any time. And I remember the first one, oh, my gosh. I had, like, just gotten to sleep around 10.30 and, uh, no, around 8 o'clock in the evening. And I uh, was supposed to go on watch it four hours later. And around uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, they called for all hands on deck. And I just really didn't want to get out of the berth. <laughs> but I did. I, there was another crew member uh, within sight of me, and we both sort of sat there in our berth like, okay, do we really have to do this? <laughs> but we did. I mean, that's, that's that the, call of the, of the, the deal. call of the crew. Yeah, yeah. that's part of the ego. You've got to do it. It is part of the adventure. Yeah, it's part of it. Yeah. So now, let's say what they would call all hands on deck when when you were on your scheduled four hours off. What what was happening? Why all hands had to be on deck? I think Robert. Yes. Are you there? I am here. Uh, I lost you for a moment. Okay, that's okay. That can happen with the technology. Uh, when when they would say all hands on deck, and you had to leave in a hurry to go on deck. Uh, on an unscheduled time, what was happening? Did the, the ocean become, uh, there was a weather problem? What was happening? Okay, well, when the all-hands-on-deck uh, calls came out, it would, was on the Aegean Sea or the Black Sea during the regatta, okay. and uh, in that situation did not happen going across the ocean. Mm-hmm. It is hard to make this distinction be- between you know, where I was at one time or another. But to answer your question about what was happening, uh, uh, there would be a sail change. Yes, the weather may have come up. It never really did get stormy, mm-hmm. but there was a time when the winds were pretty light, and we had, um, and then they came up stronger, and we needed to uh, shift the sails. We had a, a, a wind direction change, mm-hmm. and the captain just decided that it was better to have the full crew up on deck than just the one third of the crew that was on watch at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that happened three or four times oh, during sure. the course of the race. Now, what yeah. size was the boat? Uh, I know you told us how many people could be on it, but what was the size of it, of, okay. the, of, the, of, the, of the sailboat? The, the uh, tall ship Kaliakra on the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea was um, a little over um, 130 feet long. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was a three-masted barkentine, mm-hmm. which means that three masts and barkentine is a certain type of vessel. Mm-hmm. On the Atlantic... 
the Royal Clipper vessel was a five-masted ship, and it is the largest tall ship in the world. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have to crew on that vessel. It was a totally different sailing experience. Mm-hmm. Royal Clipper was different by far than was Kaliakra, even though they were both sailboats, they were both uh, sailing vessels and tall ships. Um, Royal Clipper was like being on a cruise ship with sails and fewer passengers than you would have on a a regular cruise ship. Mm -hmm. And Kaliakra is a sail training vessel in which part of its job is to race and so that these young people can really get the feel of what's happening with when they're out on the water. Okay, so they're racing now. Was there uh, when you're racing? Uh, and an event like that was were there winners from di- people from different countries, uh, from different cl- uh, organizational clubs. What oh, was the race? The race uh, aboard Kaliakra. Uh, well, Kaliakra was one of 22 ships from 15 nations, and Sharon, that was absolutely a fantastic experience. It was tr- both both sailing vessels were truly international sailing uh, experiences. But aboard Kaliakra, well, the crew was, was all Bulgarian, and there were two American passengers, <clears throat> excuse me, two American passengers on board, and six Greek passengers on board. The, uh, the crew spoke English somewhat, and my Bulgarian is the basic courtesies, and that's all. But when we were sailing the vessel and working the lines and working the sails, they were speaking Bulgarian, so I learned a few experience or a few words in Bulgarian. Oh, and, and there's this one young man who, by the name of Martin, we would, in English, we would say Martin, but his name, as he pronounced it, was Martin. And he came to me one day with this book that is the, uh, the, the layout book of Kaliakra. It's got diagrams and, and uh, illustrations of all of the parts of the vessel. And oh. all of the names are in both Bulgarian and English. Mm-hmm. So he, so Martin and I spent about three hours one day learning the parts of the ship uh, in both the English and Bulgarian. And this young man was 19. He'd never been on the water before. And here oh. he on a tall ship, required <laughs> to go aloft, you know, 10, 20 meters in the air to, you know, trim sail or to... to to furl the sails when necessary, and he'd never been on the water before. Oh, my goodness. We're going to go to our sponsor, and we're going to be right back. And I can imagine when you found that one out, (laughs) (laughs) did you ask him if he knew how to swim? (laughs) Uh, No, I I, I did not. (laughs) Okay, we'll be right back, Robert. This is exciting. I'm really happy for you. Uh, We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Miss, with just a mist. And we'll be right back with Robert Weir and the sailor, Robert Weir. We'll We'll listen to our sponsor and be right back. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Robert, uh, when you mentioned that the Martine uh, did not know how to swim, what is the criteria to qualify to be uh, going out on learning? how to be on a um, sailing, uh, a, a, a comp- competitive sailing. Um, um, were these young men and, and, and women, they were both uh, young, uh, the, the men cadets, and women. both men and women, they were all 18 to 22 years of age, and I really didn't ask whether or not they knew how to swim or not. Okay, not maybe sure. that wasn't the first time he'd been on a boat like that. Well, he probably, he, he may not uh, have known how to swim. We really didn't talk about it. Right. But the requirement of, well, these people, uh, they were engaging in an educational experience. Okay. They had signed a contract with either the, a, a member of the uh, corporation within the maritime industry in Bulgaria mm-hmm. or the government of Bulgaria okay. to work for within the maritime industry for six years mm-hmm. in exchange for four years of education. Of course, oh. they, they got paid when they were working, too. I mean, this was not, uh, this was not uh, indentured service in any way. Okay. Um, but it, there was a, a contractual arrangement there. Okay. And I believe that many of the young people probably uh, were of lower-income families. Mm-hmm. And the maritime industry does pay quite well. Uh, and well, one way of looking at it is when you're at sea, you don't have any way of spending your money. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's a good industry to get into, and for these young people to receive a scholarship education oh. was a great experience for them. Oh, and right. I think and that exchange. was really the the only requirement to be on board is that a willingness to work within the maritime industry for at least a six year period. And they probably had a personality. Uh, that they had to meet because how many people could go out on a, on the water that long? Yes, and that personality aspect is a very profound thing to talk about, Sharon, because as uh, Captain Kuludov, the captain of Kaliakrid, told me, there is a uh, a recognized factor within the sailing industry, the maritime industry, that uh, young officers and cadets learn more about being on the water by being on a sailing vessel than they do on a steam-powered or nuclear-powered vessel because you get to feel the water. You get to feel what the wind is doing to the sails as opposed to just having a motor that's propelling the vessel across the surface. Oh, my, of course. Now we're back to Sharon's power of water. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly are. (laughs) Well, I have said to the world uh, the reason I... I'm so fascinated by the power of water is there's earth's rhythm with the water. 
And yep. as you would say, the wind and the sail of life uh, and learning how to read that and recognize what is ne- that what is so important that Robert maybe that's why you became such a well-known novelist at writing because you learned how to read the rhythm. Well, thank because you. Because you I, like to sail. I, I had not thought of that that way, Sharon. But yes, I, I think you have defined the way I like to live very well, uh, respecting nature, respecting the power of water and wind and the value of air and the earth, of course, and, and going with the flow. As a good friend of mine once said, when we are flexible, we don't get bent out, bent out of shape. And right. so when we go with the flow that we have to do uh, when we are at sea, we yeah. are at the mercy of the wind. Especially if there's a sail. Especially if there's a sail. Yeah. Especially if there's a sail. To be propelled across the water with what they call as sticks and rags, you know, Uh the masts, the the Mm -hmm. sails, and the wind that fills them, Mm -hmm. is a fantastically relaxing uh, way to live. Well, and you mentioned the fact of word to respect, but also to admire. A person to, to respect something, and you can correct me. But to respect something in exchange, you have to have some admiration of, of respect. That there is, maybe we don't always understand or agree or are so fascinated, but to admire something, to, the, to respect it, is wanting to exchange something. And it doesn't have to be 100% what you want. It becomes what nature is needing. Absolutely. Did you, did you follow me? <laughs> it, 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 Sharon, I totally agree with you. And we as humans and all other creatures and beings and entities on Earth and the universe are part of creation. It's like what I learned from John McConnell, the man who founded the original Earth Day. When I wrote his biography, he said that peace is not the absence of war, but peace comes from an honest understanding of another person's point of view. And I oh would boy, are you that. tapping into what's going on in the earth today, on the earth today? Absolutely. It's not only understanding each other person's point of view, it's understanding what happens in nature, on the water, or on the land, in trees, with environmental pollution, exactly. with hydration, dehydration, all of the things That's that you right. are most interested in. Yeah, and because, re- uh, because we have to realize that what uh, that nature is going to take a course and you but now back to the um uh, your sailing and your experiences in the last several months now you i'm going to tap on to okay you said you didn't probably repair, prepare for a lot uh to go on this four month journey uh because you stay in pretty good condition but Tell my audience and me, what do you do, Robert, to stay in somewhat condition to take off for four months and do what you did? What do you do at home? I want to hear a little bit about that. Do you go out and sail on, on your lake there in Michigan every, every so often? Do you go to the exercise gym? Do you get up in the morning and you have a routine that you want to make sure that you're healthy? Uh, what did you do? Because I don't know very many people who could go do that and stay healthy. Well, I do sail. Uh, generally once a week on Lake Michigan. Okay, once and, a week. And it's interesting that I find sailing to be a phenomenal way to stay in shape. I mean, okay. for people who uh, don't go out and sail, or maybe the people who, op- who run on run on powerboats, 
they might look like, well, you know, those sailors are just sitting there, or, you know, they, they, they pull a, a line <laughs> once in a while. It's like but the people actually, behind a computer, they look like they're never doing anything. <laughs> but actually, you are toning your body all the time on your yeah. sailboat, because yeah. a sailboat is always moving. It's stand, like standing on a balance ball. It's okay. always shifting, and yeah. so your body is always in it's the like on a tightrope. You're always having to bring it back to the balance. You're always, and you, you bring your own body back to the balance. Uh-huh. And even when you are trimming sails, there's a maxim in, among sailors that you've got one hand for the boat and one hand for yourself. Uh-huh. You're always holding on. Now, sometimes you, the one hand for yourself might mean that you're wrapping an arm and an elbow around a line or around a stay or a shroud, one of the mm-hmm. steel cables, so that you can work the lines with two hands. Or maybe you're leaning your butt hard against uh, something solid and that's, mm-hmm. you know, your butt becomes the, the hand for yourself. But right. you're always holding firm. on. Stay on firm. The elbow. Some of yeah. the fittest, trimmest people I know are career mariners, career uh-huh. sailors. Okay. Now, uh, but some people just can't do it. Now, uh, and then there's, I, I would have to say, John, that there are people who n- with nature just cannot go do that. Uh, even if they're in tremendous condition, they love the water, it's just something they wouldn't want to go out and be out there that long. It takes a very special person to do that, too. Now, back to um, the people that were with you on the boat. Uh, what were you eating uh, during the day? What would you get up in the morning and have breakfast, uh, lunch? Uh, what, what were you eating? Uh, that's a great question. I'm going to answer it in regard to both of the ships that I was on to make this contrast. On Royal Clipper, the, the tall ship that was like a cruise vessel, the food was gourmet. It was international, and the guests on board or the passengers on board were all international. I made a point of dining with every person on board who spoke English and some people who did not speak English. Uh-huh. But, but, so that was, a, that was a formal or semi-formal dining experience. Yeah. Yeah. Aboard Kaliakra, you ate what the chef or you ate what the cook served you, yeah. and, and that was it. And, now, what were you uh, eating, though? Well, <laughs> white bread at every meal. Uh-huh. A tremendous, a tremendous. Um, I have not eaten that much white bread since <laughs> I was a boy, and you know, with Wonder Bread, uh-huh. um, and oh gosh, a lot of pasta. Okay. A lot of uh, well, a lot of gook, a lot of gook. You know, uh, they probably weren't thinking the way I am, but you were getting a lot of goo- glucose because yes. if you're working hard physically. You've got, there's so much glucose that's got to get into the pancreas to shoot off some insulin for your energy. So they probably weren't looking at it that way, but I am. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so you had a lot of, of white, spongy bread and pasta, and what did, what did you get for protein? Oh, a lot of salami, sausage. A lot of salami. We had fish one night. There was some chicken. Uh, oh, some goulash with some uh, hamburger or oh, beef. Oh, goulash. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost I said our passengers rather than our listeners. Our listeners don't know, probably even a lot of them know what goulash is. I remember my family, my father used to make the goulash. Sure, a little hamburger, a little pasta, a little, a little bit of, red uh, sauce, onions. Sure, yeah, a little onions. Mix right. it all up. Make there it was a, a lot of fruit on board. Oh, and pasta. Uh, or, oranges, like grapefruit. Like like um, like. Um, a little bit of pasta like you make for macaroni and cheese, the macaroni pasta. Yes, yeah, macaroni. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. been a long time. But it, I bet it tasted good when you're hungry. It always does. Yeah. It always does. <laughs> I had to laugh. The first meal was interesting. Um, it, it was touted as macaroni and cheese. 
Okay. What it was were the, were the goulash kind of noodles, those little, uh-huh. you know. The macaroni. Sort of a circle, the macaroni type. Yeah. And a, and a chunk of feta cheese on the side. It was not the, the yellowish macaroni and cheese that I know of as an American. Oh, woman. yeah, all right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now, what did you have for, let's say you had a breakfast. What did they fix you for breakfast? Uh, breakfast were um, actually things that we would not eat for breakfast. Uh, the, uh, things like the pasta and the okay. uh, the sausages. Uh, okay. Yes, the salami sausages. Okay. Okay. And if you had a hunger for something after you've been on a, a four-hour shift, did you have a, a, a accessibility to go get something to uh, build up some nourishment, some energy, or you had to live with what you had in your backpack? Pretty much live with what I have in the backpack. Fruit yeah. was always available. You could get yeah. oranges and um, grapefruits and bananas on board. Okay. Uh, but generally you waited till the next meal. Yes. Yeah, well, and that was the excitement of, of that type of adventure. Right. Okay, now tell me about the weather conditions when you were gone. Uh, did you run into any uh, challenges with weather? No. And when, when I was on board the vessels, it was very, very wonderful weather. Uh, the, on across the Atlantic, we did have swells uh, that were about to 7 meters tall or you know, 28, 30 feet tall. But it was a large enough boat that it was a smooth ride. Oh, in fact, I've got to tell you this. Um, I had an inside cabin aboard the Royal Clipper across the Atlantic, which means I did not have a porthole. That was the more economical way to travel. Right. And, um, and I discovered that if I put a towel down at the base of the door, it kept the light from the companionway from coming in. And I hung a sock over the thermostat control for the uh, temperature in my room. And I was sleeping in total darkness on a fluid environment, you know, rocking back and forth. And, you know, I probably have not done that since I was in my mother's womb. Wow. Fantastic. And I slept so beautifully, so wonderfully. Well, they say that we were meant to sleep in the dark. And in water, right? Pardon? (laughs) And I believe, you know, before we're born, we are sleeping in water. We're sleeping in the water in the dark. Yes. That's right. That's right. So what made you to instinctively decide to uh, uh, cover the light under the door and put a sock under the, over the thermostat. What made you, do, were you getting ready to go out to, uh, on the sailboat on the ocean? Uh, I don't know why I chose to do it. It just, uh, I, you know, I saw this light coming on a, under okay. the companion way door, uh-huh. and uh, I said, no, I'm just going to cover that up and uh-huh. see what it feels like. Uh-huh. And, then, and then when I did that, I saw the little red light on the thermostat, and I said, well, I'm going to cover that up, too. And it just turned out to be... Okay, a- well, what a, an in- interesting instinct uh, to think that way, because yeah. you're so right. I have read in some of my research that when I get into sleep deprivations and sleep apathy, it's certain things about our sleep, that we have not learned from birth how to sleep. And uh, the light in the room is a no-no. Really, it's better no light, because then the body goes into what earth does, sleep. And uh, your instincts were correct. I'm going to ask you now, when uh, anybody would have a health problem on board, uh, the sailing one, that you were just so few of you compared to the great big luxury one, what would they do? Did anybody run into any uh, problems? That uh, Did they get seasick because they had not, not had that adventure before? Because you've, you've done it before. But were there people that they had to challenge uh, some health issues? 
Yes. Uh, well, aboard Royal Clipper, there was a doctor on board, and so that was, you know, more of a professional situation. And not that in an Ancaliacra, I won't say it wasn't professional, but there was no doctor. Mm-hmm. And yet there were experienced officers. I actually came on board Kaliakra feeling quite under the weather in regard to a, a, a sore throat and just being a little mm-hmm. tired and, you know, scratchy throat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talked to my, the officer who was my, um, uh, the, the second mate, the officer in charge of my watch, and he provided me with some uh, over-the-counter medications that I did not have mm-hmm. on board. They may have been even prescription of. Uh, Antibiotics, but I'm sure. I'm not sure. And, and within a few days, uh, I was okay. Mm-hmm. And I now, also. Uh, Nana, I'm going to ask about water. Uh, did you have enough water that you needed? Yes, uh, okay. the both vessels had a fresh water tank on board. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. 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 and I, I had throat lozenges and some things like that with me also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, you had already understood what you had to do. Was there any pre-training for you to do that, or did you just? Sign up to go do it. I just—I don't mean physically, but I mean mentally and how, what you should expect. I just decided I, to go do it, and okay. actually, well, maybe the answer really goes back further than that, Sharon. Uh, when I was in England in 2001, I had an opportunity to sail back as part of a four tall ship uh, convoy, uh, and I, actually my dad was ill at that time, and the wiser decision was for me to, re- to fly back to the United States and be with my dad. And um, I feel, felt as though if I got another chance to sail across the Atlantic, I was going to do so. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I need to interject this as a motivation for the, our listeners to understand. There were three things that were going to happen in that part of the world uh, that I wanted to go to. I had a friend who was getting married in Barcelona, Spain, in May. There was, God, I forgot uh, about that. Mm-hmm. And my, the community I live in, Kalamazoo, Michigan, has a sister city relationship, a cultural relationship, with the community in northern Russia by the name of Pushkin, Russia. It's near St. Mm-hmm. Petersburg. Uh-huh. And then I have a client who I'm helping write a book who was going to participate in an ultramarathon event in India in July. So I've got Spain in May, I've got Russia in June, I've got India in July. There's no point in coming back to the United <laughs> States between each one. Then I began to think, okay, how can I get to Spain? Well, I can fly. Everybody flies. I could take a cruise ship. That would be okay. But the, the Royal Clipper experience came into my consciousness through the Internet uh, research. And uh-huh. I said, that's how I'm going to go. It was the more ex- most expensive way of those three, of flying the cruise ship and the, and the sailing vessel. Uh-huh. But when you subtract the cost of, I got to get to Europe anyway, uh-huh. you know, it really isn't that expensive. It was less than $100 a day across the Atlantic for uh-huh. food, lodging, and transportation in a oh classy environment. Oh and likewise, uh, aboard Kaliakra, it cost me roughly $950 to be on that vessel for 14 days. That's 70-some dollars a day for food, lodging, and transportation oh and the experience. Oh, but, oh, the experience. Can you imagine your book that you're going to be writing? Oh, I, I am writing a book. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I, I should say, Robert, how many books are you going to write on different parts of this? <laughs> well, it, it's time to plug the, my, my website, Sharon. Thank you. My okay, website thank you. RobertMWeir.com. That's Robert M as in Martin, Weir, W-E-I-R. 
W-E-I-R, and I am in the process of posting stories on my website about this venture. My goodness, so, how wonderful. The power yeah. of water is what your whole trip. Now, I want to ask you... Um, if it's okay if I ask about in Spain when you went to the wedding, was it a, and what type of wedding did they have in Spain? It was, it was a civil service uh-huh. um, between two absolutely joyful, loving people who uh-huh. have known each other for years, and they finally decided, let's get married and make this official. And okay. uh, it, was, it was a beautiful experience. Oh, how wonderful. With happy, happy people. Wonderful. And then over when you went to Russia, uh, your experience in Russia. Russia was a celebration. It was a, just a terrific celebration of community. I mean, in the United States, we have not been a country for more than 200 years plus. I know. People forget how young we are. But, yes. Well, We're like little a, kids. Here's a village in Russia that's been in existence for 300 years, and there are villages in Russia that have been in existence for 1,000 years. Right. But a 300-year celebration is fantastic. And Pushkin oh. is neat interesting because it is about 20 kilometers from St. Petersburg, Mm -hmm. which at the time of Peter the Great, the the Tsar Peter the Great, was Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg was the capital of Russia, Mm -hmm. and Pushkin became known as the Tsar's Village because it was where the, the Tsars came and created these huge, beautiful palaces, Catherine Palace, Alexander Palace, and the first railroad in Russia was between St. Petersburg and Pushkin. Mm, my. The first railroad stations were in St. Petersburg and Pushkin in Russia. You know, I often have you, I know you have, uh, and everyone has. When you look back at a thousand years or thousands of years or 300 years, 200 years or whatever, you look at how beautiful the beautiful buildings and the, the the architecture of everything they did was so magnificent. Yes, absolutely. And, then the, and then people will say, well, they didn't have to spend as much money with what we do today. We don't do that anymore because it's too much money. Well, they did it with artistic artwork. The artist of the drawing made the buildings so beautiful. Sharon, you've just and in touched Russia, on... It's so beautiful. You've just touched on something that I think is so important. You know, I do public speaking in addition to writing books and helping other writers write their books. I do a lot of editing for internationally known emerging and established authors now. And uh, one of the talks that I'm doing is about the churches and the cathedrals in Russia because many of those churches were destroyed either because of World War One, World War Two, or by governmental decree during the communist era. Mm-hmm. But many, many people in Russia, communities in Russia, are rebuilding their churches, not in a modern way, but in the exact same architecture and color and design and decoration that they were originally crafted. But the in tradition the of their, who they are. Yes. In fact, in Pushkin, the, the 300th anniversary celebration culminated with the rededication of St. Catherine's Cathedral, which will hold a 1,000 people. It was destroyed in 1939 by the, govern- the, the communist government. It was dynamited intentionally and replaced with a, a statue of Lenin, which was removed from there in the about... Uh, Ni- the mid-1990s, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. No, excuse me, it was earlier in the 2000s. 
And in 2006, the people of Russia started and they paid for the reconstruction of this beautiful cathedral, and it was rededicated on at the end of June 2010 as part of their 300th anniversary. That's awesome. Oh, that is absolutely awesome. Awesome. and yeah. I, I met this beautiful young lady in uh, in Moscow. Actually, we met in Barcelona, and she agreed to show me a tour of her town in Moscow or city uh, when I went there. And she also showed me churches and cathedrals in in Moscow that were even larger that had been destroyed intentionally or through war efforts. Mm-hmm. And they were now rebuilt, and they're just absolutely great. And there's actually there's one church from the 1550s. It's called Intercession Cathedral or St. Basil's Cathedral, right next to Red Square that was intended to be blown up during the communist uh, government time. And Marina, this young lady, said for some reason it wasn't. It's like somebody interceded to save Intercession Cathedral. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous. And that happened in a lot of different countries. Paris had that happen, where a lot of they agreed this don't with whatever whatever they did to agree that don't destroy what some monument or something of, of artistic creation that could not be replaced. So that did happen. They did. People would intercept. Yeah. yeah. There's another point I'd really like to make and and emphasize, because I think this is so important. I am a strong believer in our global unity. I mean, water, the oceans and the seas connect all of the lands, and they make up the water part of our world along with the the lands. Mm -hmm. And this global connectivity is, is important to me. That's why the subject of my book that I'm writing about this trip online is called Oneness Awareness. Oneness awareness. And then oneness, you mean it's the water that connects all the land, the soil. Yes, and it's our humanity. It's our commonality that we Mm -hmm. share, regardless of the color of our skin Mm -hmm. or our ethnicities or our nationality. So following that pursuit, I also, as much as possible, stayed in people's homes while I traveled. Mm -hmm. And that was a great cultural experience for me Mm -hmm. to... I mean, if I just stayed in a hotel, that would be like going to Chicago or New York or an American city and staying in a hotel. I wanted to be with the people. You wanted to stay with the people, how they yeah. lived on their soil. Yes. Yeah, live yeah, with their fantastic part of the adventure that I experienced. Okay, now, where did you go in? And where did you go to stay in people's homes? Which, which countries? Well, in Russia, for example, uh, I made arrangements through people in Kalamazoo who knew people in Pushkin to mm-hmm. stay in the home of a woman and her son, uh, mm-hmm. Larissa and Slava. Mm-hmm. And Larissa spoke no English, and I spoke mm-hmm. only the basic courtesies of, of <laughs> Russian. But Slava had been to school, and... Now we, learn, now we know why that game charades is very important. <laughs> <laughs> Larissa and I tried a lot of charades, and, and when oh. we could not possibly understand each other, we would say, Slava! <laughs> lots of laughter, lots of, fun, lots of laughing. Lots of laughing. I know yeah. when I've been around people when they don't speak my language, and I say, do you speak English? And then, no. And I say, oh, ta-da, and then we're all laughing. <laughs> so every time I go to do something, we're laughing. <laughs> and in St. Petersburg, I have a client, a man who speaks and writes English as a second language, and I do uh, some refinement of his uh-huh. English papers. I uh-huh. stayed with him for two days. Uh-huh. And um, and first time I had met him, we worked uh, together for four or five years via the internet. Ah, uh, 
so I stayed with him. When I was in India, I stayed as a guest of the man who organized the ultramarathon run, oh, okay. I, which is up in the Himalayas. And oh, you, were, you got to go to the Himalayas? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I am so envious. Uh, now, did you know one of, the most beautiful rivers, one of the most beautiful rivers in the world originates uh, at Mount Everest coming down through the uh, Himalayas? Uh, down into the flatlands of China, and one of the most beautiful rivers, waterfalls in the world, Robert. There, uh, I don't know if you ran into it or you heard the name of it. Which which river? Is I'm that? embarrassed. I forget the name of it. It's one of a kind, and it's the one of a kind waterfall up in the Himalayan mountains that is absolutely in, in, near Tibet. Oh, and okay. And actually, I would. You were on was... the other side. I was always in India. When I was okay, in, the on the Indian side. I was always in India. Now, you will right. find this fascinating. Um, I have been studying that particular river that has an influence of going into India, and China is looking at damming up a particular river uh, that would have an influence on the water the river going into the India on that side of the Himalayas. Uh, we have talked about it on this show two or three times. Okay. Because you probably ran into in India where there's a lot of problems with water. We yes, uh, bottled water was required, and, and yes, especially in India. Unfortunately, I, I was privileged in Delhi, uh, so I was in Delhi for two weeks, and I was in the Himalayas for two weeks. And in Delhi, I was privileged to go to an Indian wedding with uh, the cousin and the father of the host who, who kept who put me up there, mm-hmm. and. Um, I saw this beautiful display of, um, of, of lettuce and tomatoes, and I hadn't had those kinds of foods in quite a while. And I was going to take some, and the, my host cousin said, remember, you don't know what water that's been washed in. Yes, I know. In fact, I mentioned at the beginning of the show today about the 2 billion people that are affected by parasites because of the water yes. in our world. and. The worms and the problems, and uh, it is so, you know, when you travel the world, you can come back and not even know why all those symptoms are happening. It's because of a parasite. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And, and, and I don't know, I don't know, I haven't studied it in a, at all, but uh, I should, uh, but I don't know if it ever can go away, uh, because it, usually it'll grow if you haven't gotten it in time. It would grow and get more where you'd have to keep up with it for probably most of your life. I, yes, yes. Yeah. And if for as much as I appreciated traveling around these, well, I was in eight countries in four months. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got, when I flew back into Chicago, I said, you know, it's nice to be home. Yeah. It, oh, the organization yeah. Yes, I've of done the structures, that. the the aesthetics of our buildings, the the conformity of obeying traffic laws or or traffic signs, stoplights. That does not exist in India, where I was anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chaos that was there, which I think contributes to the pollution of the water and so on. The population, I mean, I mean we, sh- we could get on the whole population issue, Sharon. Right. Um, you know, so I, I really am glad for the time to be away. I'm glad to be back. And actually, I'm making plans to go back to India probably at the end of July and I might stay there for six months working with uh, an American who is working with orphan children in Calcutta. Now, my granddaughter, Michaela, uh, did that about two years ago. She went into India 
uh, to spend some time in the month of June. <laughs> Which is a very hot time to be in the war part. And she's very blonde. <laughs> and uh, she studied very well before, for months, and she went with an organization out of, I think, Texas. But she was there for a month with the orphan children and helping the nuns. And she loves Walt Disney and anything to do with Disney characters and the music. And so she took all that with her. She took her laptop, and she got the children singing Disney music. And, and Robert, the night before she left to come home, uh, the nuns went out and got a bigger television set screen and she hooked it up to where they could all be watching a larger set of Disney, uh, a Disney movie. And they were, even the nuns were dancing, <laughs> singing to the songs. You know, and uh, and they, she was there for 135-degree weather, Robert. Oh my We've only God. got a half a, a minute left. How would you like to let us uh, hear, uh, close off today? And we'll do this again because you're one of my favorite Hallmark Hall of Famers on my show. Uh, what would you like to say to our audience about what your experiences have been and what to look for at your website? Thank you for giving me a full hour, Sharon. That was delightful, and you're right. We couldn't get it all in. My my website, robertmweir.com, has more stories there. And the concept of universal oneness is a message, whether it's dancing like you just mentioned or singing or trying to communicate uh, through through charade. Humor and laughing. Humor, laughing, and water. We are all made up of water, regardless of what the color of our skin is and what country we come from. We are one human species. We are one human race. That's right. That's That's one of my beliefs. And we flow with the nature of patience. Yes. Because nature is patient. Yes. Well, Robert, thank you so much for being with us again. Can we do this again? Absolutely, Sharon. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I love being on your show. Thank you, thank you. And thank you, thank you. Have a nice day and be well. You too. Thank you. Well, I've got two minutes left of the show, and with Robert Wolfweir, we'll have him on again. We, after, he's the author of Earth Day, and as he mentioned, John McConnell is the founder of Earth Day, and we have Earth Day coming here in the next few weeks. And, and Earth Day, as you know, is, was decided by the United Nations on the equinox of Earth's relationship of nature. They would have an Earth Day, and they all voted with the United Nations to do so. Well, all of a sudden, the politicians came along, and they said, oh, no, no, we don't want it with the equinox of Earth's experience. We're going to do it with our experience. And, and I was saddened by that. I had a teardrop over that. Why do we do that? Earth has a nature, and, and it's exciting to flow with that beautiful experience of, of that nature. But Earth Day is coming, and Robert is right. The, the water brings us together, and that's why way back in time I decided to study water. And I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center, and the field that I'm in is studying the technology of bringing water back into the medical field and our alternatives, and I mean 100% water, not anything added to it. So what have I learned from Robert today? The oceans and the seas, the land, the soil, the people, it all comes together with what? One, nature. And the other reason I like this show is the nature of it. We have a Hall of Fame of nature with it, That the wonderful people that come on. And they give me a chance. And if I ever get excited with you, it's because I do get very excited with sharing with you what I believe Earth is trying to give us that message. 
And I will say always at the end of the show why I say this. Earth has a secret. Listen very closely to that rhythm of that secret because it gives you a flow to deal with anything and everything that you think you need to flow and deal with obstacles to solve. Solve them. Get up in the morning. Solve them. That's what Earth is about. But Earth has a whisper to you and I and everyone on it. Don't forget, you can leave a footprint. Do something special. Leave something behind that leaves something behind and pay it forward. I want to thank you for listening again. And I have a special request. You be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.